Hola and welcome to Catholic View on this Friday evening. I'm Sheila Pirsch and I thank you very much for being here with me. Coming up in today's broadcast, we'll be focusing on youth. Excellent youth. We're talking about top achiever at the Sacred Heart College in Observatory, Johannesburg. But first, of course, we begin with some of the stories that made headlines in the Catholic Church and in Africa today. So do stay tuned. Hi, I'm Archbishop Peter Wells, Apostolic Nuncio. Thank you for listening to Radio Veritas the good news for a change. And in your headlines this Friday evening, we take a look at 2018 first papal journey. Trump's racist remarks spur international anger. And Catholic nuns help victims of sex trafficking. Good evening once again. I'm Sheila Pirish. During a briefing for journalists in the Vatican yesterday, the Holy See Press Officer Director Greg Burke spoke about the Pope's upcoming first week apostolic visit to Chile and Peru that starts on Monday. Nosipo Hadebe filed this report. His journey will take him to regions which are not only the country's poorest and most peripheral, but where environmental issues and demands for indigenous land rights have even led to unrest. Linda Bordoni reports. Pope, Greg Burke said, travels to countries he knows well, as he knows their bishops and their concerns. And he said he is going to share with the people the peace, the hope, and the joy of the gospel. He also confirmed the environmental aspect of the journey and the Pope's commitment to issues pertaining to the rights of indigenous people, clearly, he said, among the main themes of his visit. Burke noted that the Pope's visit is also being seen as a window on the Synod of Bishops for the Pan-Amazon region, which will take place in the Vatican in October next year. He added that the Pope has a very intense schedule, as usual, on his apostolic visits. Linda Bordonia tells us more. His intense schedule includes meetings, masses, prayers and encounters, with much time dedicated to the poorest and most vulnerable. And to the question, will the Pope be meeting with victims of clerical sex abuse in Chile? Burke answered, there is nothing on the program to that regard. But he added, everything is possible. And what's more, unscheduled meetings are often the best. Four Hospitaller Sisters of Mercy from India, Nigeria, the Philippines and Madagascar have worked to open a shelter in Louisiana in the United States for 16 women under the age of 21 who have been victims of sex trafficking. Nosipo Khadebe has more. In Louisiana, it is estimated that about 40% of juvenile victims are being trafficked by their primary caregiver, a mother, father or foster parent. The nuns will have the assistance of other professional volunteers, including physicians, nurses, social workers and educators, to complement their own expertise in helping victims. During his homily at morning mass today, Pope Francis reflected on how it is that those who pray to the Lord get what they ask for. The Pope recalled that the Gospel readings from Mark tell of two healings, that of the leper and the paralytic. Both pray to receive and both do it with faith. The Holy Father added that the leper also challenged Jesus with courage. 
Pope Francis went on to say that everything is as the gospel teaches, possible for those who believe. He added that the gospel therefore leads us to question ourselves on our way of praying. We do not do this as parrots and without interest in what we ask for, suggested the Pope, but we beg the Lord to help our little faith even in the face of difficulties. On to African news. ANC President Cyril Ramaphosa says this year will be focused on returning the party to its former glory. Nosipo Khadebe reports. Ramaphosa was speaking at the East London Golf Course where he teed off with business people and some ANC members. He says the main task that lies ahead is restoring the image and dignity of the 106-year-old liberation movement. He spoke to the SABC about his next stop. Uh, we have to go and visit a family. Uh, of, uh, of a mother who lost three sons who were MK soldiers. So, so from here, we're going directly there. Kenya's President Uhuru Kenyatta will address the ANC's 106th anniversary in East London during his visit to South Africa. Nosipo Khadebe reports. Kenyan President Uhuru Kenyatta has arrived in the Eastern Cape ahead of the ANC's 106th anniversary rally. Kenyatta is meeting with Soro Ramaphosa in his capacity as the ANC president. President Jacob Zuma hosted the newly elected Kenyan president at his Dr. John L. Dube residence in Durban yesterday. SABC reporter Natasha Thorpe has more. Well, Kenyatta was uh, received a bit earlier today when he flew into East London uh, by the ANC Deputy President David Mabuza, by the Treasurer General Paul Mashatile, as well as uh, the International Relations Minister Maiteng Kwana Mashabane. Zimbabwe is reportedly considering shutting down some of its 46 embassies around the world in a bid to cut costs. According to the state-owned Herald newspaper, the Foreign Affairs Minister says government is in the process of clearing its debt in respect of salaries, rentals and other running costs for its various embassies as it tries to rebuild its image internationally. The ministry says the move is in line with President Emerson Mnangwaga's maiden speech as president when he pledged to rebuild relations with the international community. The UN's envoy in Somalia has called for calm and dialogue amid reports of clashes between security forces from the self-declared Republic of Somaliland and the Puntland region in Somalia. Metwell's reports. Michael Keating made the appeal at a joint press encounter on Wednesday in Hargeisa, self-styled capital of Somaliland, after meeting with President Moussa Bihi Abdi for the first time since his election late last year. Mr Keating stressed that immediate discussion is needed to solve genuine differences. Our position is to try and reduce tensions, to increase dialogue very quickly between both sides, so that if there are misunderstandings, these are clarified. The UN envoy added that a priority must be to try and prevent violence of any kind, whether in Somaliland or indeed between Somaliland and other regions. There's been a mass burial in Nigeria for 73 people killed in fighting between Fulani herdsmen and farmers. They've been locked in conflict for decades over the use of grazing land. Attacks and counter-attacks between farmers and cattle herders in Nigeria have grown worse over the past five years. Last year alone, at least 1,500 people died and more than 100,000 displaced. Ahmed Idris reports from Makudi, Nigeria. In our country, a solemn ceremony for victims of recent violence between herdsmen and farmers. As the dead are brought in coffins on open trucks, emotions run high. 
Survivors say the attacks were carried out by herdsmen. Stephen Zion, a member of a local militia formed to confront the nomads, says he was left for dead when their camp was raided. We were in the camp. In the primary school. We were in the camp. Around 5 a.m. without warning, without information, we started to hear gunshots. They were shooting. We didn't have any rifle or ammunition. Mary is a mother of two. She's alive but suffered a deep machete cut to the face. Attacks and counterattacks between farmers and cattle herders have grown worse in Nigeria over the past five years. Last year alone, at least 1,500 have died and more than 100,000 displaced. As the 73 victims of the recent violence are buried here, the Nigerian government is sending soldiers to stop the killings. And part of the problem is access to land. A changing climate is forcing the migration of nomads from the north to the south in search of pasture. Existing lands reserved for grazing have been overtaken by farmlands and development as the population grows. And this has created conflicts between farmers and cattle herders. Security forces have announced arrests on both sides, and some states have enforced a ban on open grazing. I know the size of my state and what land is where. To me, there is no two hectares of land, two, that you can put as grazing reserve. So it cannot work here. The whole land is occupied. But the herdsmen said the law was in bad faith, meant to extinguish their way of life. Uh, that grazing is the... Grazing is the Fulani's legal right as Nigerians. That's the way they were brought up. When they insist on ranching, they should be provided with ranches. If there is no provision for ranches, how do you want them to live? Efforts by the central government to demarcate areas exclusively for grazing is being resisted in some states. This conflict has been going on for half a century. With the rise in casualties and the scramble for land and water, many Nigerians say they believe the violence will get worse before it gets better. On to international news, CNN anchor Don Lemon has criticized U.S. President Donald Trump on air, calling him a racist. Nusipo Hadebe has this report. This comes after Trump reportedly expressed frustration with migrants coming from shabby countries like Haiti during a meeting with lawmakers in the Oval Office. Lemon revealed that Trump said, why can't we have people from Norway come here? President Trump questioned why the United States would want to have immigrants from African nations and Haiti, referring to them as shabby countries. Later, CNN's Anderson Cooper choked back tears while delivering a tribute, a tribute to Haiti and its people. Meanwhile, international organizations, including the UN and African Union, politicians and ordinary Africans and Caribbeans, are outraged over U.S. President Donald Trump's latest racist remarks. The African Union said it was frankly alarmed, while South Africa's ruling ANC party said Trump's comments were extremely offensive. Deputy Secretary General Jesse Duarte reacted to U.S. President Donald Trump's comments on migrants from Haiti and Africa. It is extremely offensive for President Trump to make statements about other countries that are really not complementary of the U.S.'s position or policy positions on those countries. And uh, it, it, it's unfortunate that he makes those statements. And Morocco-based Africa analyst Adama Gaye told Al Jazeera, and I quote, Trump has shown a continuous display of racism towards Africa and people from poor nations, end of quote. 
And finally, migration is a positive force for global economic growth, which helps reduce inequality, conflict, and misunderstanding. Now, that's the passionate belief of UN Chief Antonio Guterres, unveiling his milestone report, Making Migration Work for All, at the UN headquarters in New York yesterday. The Secretary General said that facts, not prejudice, needs to be the focus to address the serious challenges of millions who are on the move as refugees and migrants. We have an opportunity to fashion for the first time a truly global response to migration. It is an opportunity to maximize the contribution that millions of migrants are already making to our societies and to agree a set of actions to ensure that the rights of all migrants are fully respected. Migration should be an act of hope, not of despair. And that was a look at some of the stories that made headlines in the Catholic Church and in Africa today. Well, thank you very much for joining me this Friday evening. I'm Sheila Pirge and you are listening to Catholic View. Coming up next is our youth feature. And today we speak to a young lady who is a top achiever at Sacred Hearts College. Welcome back to our feature program. While most learners in metric take about six or seven subjects and some taking eight or nine, very few take ten subjects for metric. And that's the case of 18-year-old Jordan Walker, who is the top achiever at Sacred Heart College right here in Johannesburg. This bright young lady set examinations for English, maths, Afrikaans, life orientation, physics, accounting, history, French, AP maths and AP English in 2017 and she achieved seven distinctions. Now Jordan says that her extreme FOMO kept her busy. So what exactly does FOMO mean? F-O-M-O. Let's find out. Uh, so FOMO is basically fear of missing out. And for me, I've always loved to be involved in so many different things. I mean, yes, I did do 10 subjects, but aside from that, it was getting myself involved in different things. I mean, sport-wise, playing soccer, uh, culturally being involved in drama and art clubs, and doing community service. And I guess that's what kept me going and got me this far. All right, now, Jordan, to everyone that's listening to you, talk to us about being an 18-year-old who has achieved so much, seven distinctions in her metric year. Talk to us about that. Talk to our listeners, to our young listeners. What are your words to young people who are entering metric this year? I think uh, a lot of people put pressure on people going into metric, and I think that's where a lot of failure comes from because there is unnecessary stress. Uh, I know I felt that myself, being someone who stresses very easily. But I think just people going into matrix, I'd say, you know, just be slow and steady and ask for help where, where you need it. Don't be afraid to ask for assistance and to rely on people in your life who can get you through it. Uh, I think definitely I was very fortunate to go to an amazing school like Six Hearts. 
and I do realize that there are students who are unable to get that opportunity. But at the same time, even though I had really good teachers and facilities and really good education, I think the people who not only do well in the trip but succeed in the future are those who are self-motivated and who can use the, the teachers and even make the best of a, of a, of a bad situation. Those ones who really succeed later on in life. You know, you, you encourage people going into high school to be optimistic and to be involved in different activities. Talk to us about your views uh, with regards to high school. Leaving primary school into high school, what are your words of advice to young people? I think it is quite a change. I know my brother's going into high school this year, so I've had to teach him in this regard. But definitely, like I've said before, uh, for me, the people who have succeeded, especially in the trip, are those who involve themselves in different activities. And I think there is the misconception that to do well in academics, you should only do academics. Where for me, it's more of a well-rounded uh, approach. So involving yourself in sports and cultural and academics and community service is what really pushes you through. And like I said before, to just keep in mind who you are and to not let distractions uh, keep you from getting where you want to go. What are your thoughts about varsity? Are you still going to be very much involved in other activities? Uh, how do you plan going into varsity? I do, yeah, I do realize that it's going to be quite an adjustment, but uh, yes, I definitely do want to stay involved in what I've been doing, so playing sports and uh, doing community service in my community and elsewhere. All right, Jordan, I must say you have certainly made your parents and your school very proud. And uh, what are your last words to young people? Um, to those studying and those in matric and even those who have just finished, I think never let other people's uh, opinions decide who you are. I think, especially going into matric, don't lose sight of who you are and that will just get you through and that was 18-year-old Jordan Walker, the top achiever at Sacred Heart College Observatory right here in Johannesburg, passing her metric with seven distinctions. Well done to her and well done to all the other matriculants who did exceptionally well in their last year of high school. And the same goes to everyone that did their very best during their last year of high school. Now that brings me up to time. You've been listening to Catholic View, a program produced and presented by Shayla Pirsch for Radio Veritas. I'll be back again on Tuesday at the same time. Until then, thank you so much for listening. Have a blessed weekend. God bless you and ciao, ciao. I'm Shayla Pirsch.